Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. What's up, everyone? This is Patrick. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Wealth Standard Podcast. Hopefully, you're not just listening. Hopefully, you are learning and getting some key insights into ways in which you can improve your wealth. Hope you've enjoyed the last couple of podcasts speaking about some current events. That's what we're going to do today with a good friend of mine, Tom Wheelwright. He is the personal CPA of Robert Kiyosaki and has been for years, been a great friend for years. And I was intrigued based on some of the stuff he's put on his YouTube channel and podcast, because he is really studying the goings-on of the Biden administration when it comes to you know the spending plan that just passed, as well as some precedents that are being set for future changes to the tax code that could potentially impact your overall wealth strategy. So it's a great conversation. You guys are really going to enjoy it. Make sure you check out Tom's podcasts. He has a CPA-facing podcast as well as an investor and business owner-facing podcast. And he also has an awesome YouTube channel. So go check out those resources. You can see all of those links on our webpage in the show notes. That's thewealthstandard.com. Okay, now let's get to my interview with Tom Wheelwright. Taking a break from the show, you know, entrepreneurs inspire me. I love meeting leaders of successful ventures who discover an idea, formulate the business, and then execute. You'd assume that they know how to structure their personal finances. I believed that too, but I was wrong. Entrepreneurs are never taught to effectively manage their wealth to work alongside their business and lifestyle. All of that work, effort, toil, and time wasted. Entrepreneur 101 is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy that works so that success is not a flash in the pan, but lasting. The spirit of the entrepreneur doesn't have to be compromised. Register for the Entrepreneur 101 course today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. That's Echo November Tango. Thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. Tom, it's good to have you. Thank you for coming back. What a couple months we've had of 2021. It's, uh, it's entertaining, isn't it? It's almost like 2020 hasn't ended yet. No, it's like a continuation. <laughs> just keeps going and going and going. But, yeah. uh, you know, we've talked, uh, it seems like eons, right? But we talked uh, about six, seven months ago, 
really talking about what the stimulus meant with regards to the response to COVID. Now we're new president, new administration, and we have this massive, I don't know if massive is the right word. There's probably some crazy word, you know, three levels above that that's appropriate. But you have this this spending bill that's going through. And, you know, I think it tells an interesting story. So as you've been monitoring this, what are some of the things that you were curious about or found interesting as it related to how this spending bill might be different than past spending bills? First of all, of course, is the timing, because we're well on the way to recovery. We have only 6% unemployment, which historically is a very good unemployment rate. We have lots of businesses that can't find people like restaurants. And what we're doing is we're extending the increased unemployment. We're sending checks when we have a historically high savings rate. We have not had as high a savings rate since 1984. And so now what are we doing? We're giving more money. It's very interesting, uh, both the obvious stuff like the $1,400 checks, which, by the way, unlike the CARES Act, doesn't just go to you and your spouse, also goes to your kids. So it's not a reduced amount for your kids. It's the same amount for two kids. We've got this child tax credit. We've got a child care credit. We made unemployment non-taxable up to $10,000. And we've made forgiveness of student loans non-taxable, which is really interesting because it sets up the obvious question is, okay, the only reason you do that is because you're expecting to forgive student loans, right? Because they're not forgiven yet. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're expecting this to happen. And it's clear that the Democrats are expecting President Biden to issue an executive order. So it's very interesting. You know, you have, for example, you have $350 billion going to states with a requirement that they can't use it for tax cuts. Okay. Which is an interesting question because it begs the question money's fungible. So let's say they use it for that other stuff, which frees up money for tax cuts. Can they now do tax cuts? Are they now? Even if they have a banner year, are they prohibited from giving any tax cuts? There's some clear unintended, maybe unintended, we don't know, but it is a massive spending bill, a lot of stuff in there. You go, you know, some of this stuff, some of the spending is not going to happen until like 2027. And you're going, how does this have anything to do with this crisis? And the reality is, is that most of it doesn't. But Joe Biden's agenda, and we're getting, I mean, for example, 18 months of COBRA the insurance paid by the government. It's tough to argue that, you know, people need insurance when they're unemployed and they don't have money to pay for it. You know, having the government pay for their insurance for 18 months, there's certainly an argument for it. So it's a very much, I think it is interesting. You know, you look at uh, historically, presidents are trying to make a big impact in their first 100 days. And it's interesting that this is the direction that they chose. Does it really surprise you? I mean, given what he ran on, does it really surprise you that this has come out? Yes and no. You know, they had to get it past some conservative Democratic senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema of my own state, Arizona. And so to do that, they had to, there are certain things they could include, certainly things that they didn't include, but it's actually a pretty, pretty good, as much as the far left complains about it, it's a pretty good inroads into Joe Biden's agenda right off the bat. So. You know, it's not overly surprising. Uh, the $350 billion to the states is, I don't have mixed feelings about this bill. I don't like the bill at all. <laughs> so I'm not particularly opposed to some of the things, but I am opposed to the price tag. I think the price tag is enormous. 
And I think it's going to come back to bite us. So what, what does this tell you about other agenda items that he campaigned with, that the Biden administration campaigned with? Well, well I mean, take, for example, healthcare. So it was a very big fan of universal healthcare. And this actually makes an inroads into that, right? He was very uh, big fan of unions. And there's some stuff for unions. Uh, there's an expectation that he was voted in by the left coast, right? The West Coast and the East Coast. And so a lot of money going to those states. And there's an expectation a lot of that money will end up in pension plans to bail out pension plans. That was one of the provisions of the bill, right? Is, is bailing out the Pension Guarantee Association. provisions in there. There's some, I think there's a lot of bailout money in this bill. Let's be honest, there was bailout money in other bills too. You know, I mean, the PPP loans are bailout money. They're just bailout money for small businesses. And the $300 a, a week unemployment is bailout money for unemployed people. So I think one of the differences is, is that it's not just the big businesses that are getting bailed out this time. In 2008, 9, and 10, it was only the big businesses. The small guys got hammered. One thing that you can say is that this is a bailout for pretty much everybody. Going to where your specialty lies, you understand the tax code better than anyone I know. You have read some of the bills, especially during COVID. What do you think this means for changes to taxes You know, in all respects, the, the business side of things, investment side of things? It's interesting because, of course, most of these payments are tax payments right? The $1,400, that's a tax credit. $3,600 for kids, that's going to be paid out ahead of time, $300 a month, but that's a tax credit. Dependent care, that's a tax credit. The forgiveness of student loans, that's a tax exemption for that. The unemployment not being taxable, that's tax. So you see that all of this policy, most of it, with the exception of the the actual handouts of the $350 billion to the states and $300, there's that. But a lot of it really is tax. And so what we've seen is we're seeing basically social kind of social manipulation through the tax law, which we've always had. I mean, let's face it. I've always said that the tax law is a series of incentives. Okay. What we're seeing is a shift in where those incentives are going. They're going towards families. Another thing, the earned income credit, you no longer have to have children to get the earned income credit. That's new. Okay. And so the earned income- they're doing it for the older, like for 65 and older too, right? Right. And earned income credit has long been thought of as a negative income tax, right? And that was actually first proposed by Milton Friedman, the conservative economist, right? Back in the 70s. And so it's really a negative income tax. It's basically a a social payment. And the child tax credits are social payments because they're refundable. Now that is new also that they're refundable. So these are social payments. What you're already seeing is through the tax law, a redistribution of income. What will happen next is that (laughs) they will use the deficits they've created to justify tax increases on the quote unquote wealthy. They've defined it 400,000. Now, interestingly enough, Joe Biden is going to stick with that $400,000 threshold. And that's very important for everybody who's listening because as soon as I heard him say that in his campaign, I'm going, oh, that's my target. I don't want any clients making more than $400,000 of taxable income. You can make millions and millions of dollars, but don't make, don't make more than $400,000 of taxable income. Well, already we're seeing like in the dependent care credit, that threshold is 
dollars. Okay, so I think that's a pretty good indication that that's where we're going. This is a shift of benefits to lower income, lower middle class, and actually not even middle class, but lower class. So it's because all these all the stuff's refundable. So it's not just offsetting taxes; it's actually a payment that's really a direct payment. I mean, it's you can think of the child credit, for example, as universal basic income for children. That's what it is. And they already are talking about making that one permanent. They've been smart about this. I, I got to tell you, the Democrats have been very smart about this because they can use this reconciliation process for taxes. And so they can make this shift for taxes using the reconciliation process. And they only need, right, their 50 plus one majority in the Senate. They don't need 60 votes in the Senate for this. And so I think that they've been really smart about it. And the other thing they've been smart about is rather than give universal basic income to adults, which has, gets a lot of pushback, they're kids. doing universal basic income for kids. And how do you argue with that? You can't. That's right. You know, from a pure political standpoint, I have to applaud them. So there's some, probably some fundamental differences between what Biden has proposed, what he campaigned with as far as what's going to happen with taxes than what happened in 2017 with Donald Trump and what he proposed. Like, What are those just 30,000 foot fundamental differences? It's just to get some incentives. That's all it is. There are still incentives. Okay. So for example, Biden wants to increase the top tax rate back to 39.6%. I would guess that will happen. Okay. It's hard to fight that one. Right. That's a tough argument that people that make that much money, $600,000 married, really need a tax break. They really don't. Okay. And it's not going to affect the economy if they raise those taxes. So that's a shift. That's a small shift. I don't think that's a big deal. Capital gains. He wants to tax capital gains over a million dollars at a much higher rate. That will be an interesting one because as long as he exempts businesses and and real estate, then that one could easily fly. Okay. That's an an easy one to exempt personal residences, for example. I mean, there are a few things they're going to have to exempt in that one, but I think that will fly. But other tax increases are tough. A lot of the other tax increases are much tougher. Joe Manchin does not like the change in the estate tax. He voted to get rid of it completely. So I think there are uphill battles for Biden in his bigger agenda, but they're making inroads. And I think that's to President Biden's credit and the Democrats, they're being very, pretty careful. They gave up, for example, the $400 unemployment and cut it back to 300. Okay. But then they extended it. Right. So there were trade-offs here and they've been actually pretty smart about what they're doing. So all we're doing is 2017, we had big tax incentives for businesses, big tax incentives for real estate. What we're going to start seeing is the incentives that we're going to see are basically they're going to be social payments like we see in this bill, but there's also going to be incentives, a lot of incentives for clean energy. And I think that's the next big thing is clean energy. And that's where the tax incentives are going to be. And so for example, my clients are already talking about shifting their strategy from residential real estate to real estate associated with clean energy. So it, it's not that hard to do, right? So it's just a matter of understanding law and taking advantage of the incentives that are there. Do you think this is something that's going to get pushed this year or do you think it'll go into 2022? It'll be this year. They have one more shot at reconciliation this year. It's very tough for them to make changes like this in an election year. So they're probably going to, I would expect this year that we're going to see any changes that they make 
they're going to try to push this through while the iron is hot, basically. Yeah, two years till midterm. So it's like they're just trying to get everything is everything, all the major items, those they big are, rocks through. Let's face it. I mean, this is both parties do this. So it, it's not like this is, oh, no, no, the Democrats are horrible and the Republicans, they're saints. I mean, come on. The Republicans did exactly the same thing. So, and the Republicans didn't care any more about the deficit than the Democrats do. So you can't even take that argument. You know, there are very few uh, people in Congress that are looking at deficits at all these days. So to me, it's just politics as usual. So, Tom, as we look at, I would say, the economy, we're not economists, right? I think sometimes we talk about it, uh, of course, it's opinion, but looking at some of the studies that have been done by Tax Foundation, right, which I think is interesting, where they analyzed if Biden's tax plan went through, the implications to the overall economy were actually negative in all categories. Not hugely negative, but you know, what? half a million jobs lost. GDP is like negative one and a half-ish. So when you look at that, the objective of Democrats, that side of things, the administration is, is not necessarily pushing lots of growth, right? It's pushing growth in certain areas, right? It's very much shifting incentives, okay? And you know, there's going to be more go to unions. Joe, uh, President Biden's been very clear that he wants to expand union activities. There's a provision in this COVID bill that gives uh, 16 weeks of COVID leave to federal employees, right? So I, I just think you're going to continue to see that same thing continue to happen. Now, what, one of the things that was interesting in the Tax Foundation's findings is that they estimate that the worst thing he could do is to raise the corporate tax rate, which that was surprising to me. Because I, you know, I've always thought 25% is not a horrible corporate tax rate. I thought that's probably where it should have gone in the first place. That was one of the original proposals in 2017 was to take it to 25. So for it to go to 25, the challenge is you can't go much higher because remember, we don't just have federal income tax, we have state income tax. And so you've got to add on five, six, seven percent to that. And now you're in the 25% federal, you're in the 30 plus percent range which puts you equal to other countries. Not right now, we're lower than other countries, but if you raise it to 25, you actually put us equal to other countries. If you go over 25 to 28, the 28 that he campaigned on, we're higher than other countries, and that would be devastating, okay? That would absolutely be devastating to us. So it's really interesting. The other thing that I don't know that is ever considered in the public discussion is who owns corporate America? And it's pension plans. It's pension plans and 401ks. It's not mostly big stockholders, okay? It's mostly pension plans and 401ks. And so as the stock market increases, that actually benefits pension plans and 401ks, okay? So corporate income tax is actually a tax on pensions and a tax on 401ks. Because the theory is that those values will go down just because profits are going to go down because of taxes. By definition, right? Yep. I mean, a, a company is uh, valued based on its PE ratio, right? And PE price, price and earnings, yeah. Price it's earnings. like if the earnings go down, it goes so down. If earnings go down because you got higher taxes. Obviously, right? Your price comes down with it. So that price earnings ratio is you've got to look at the earnings to determine what the price is. So I think that's a tough one in this year. I think that's a tough one this year because when you've got a an economy that you're trying to stimulate to put big taxes this year. I suspect the corporate income taxes probably they're going to push these social payments this year so that 
There are a couple of states in play for the Democrats in the Senate in 2022, notably, I think, Wisconsin and Ohio. I think that, of course, there are a couple in play for the Republicans too, notably Arizona and Nevada. But I think they're looking towards, the Democrats actually think they can pick up seats if they do their legislation, right? If they follow the legislation appropriately. This is all towards gaining more control. What they obviously really like is a little more control so that they can pass more of their agenda. Well, let's end with this, Tom. This has been super helpful. And I I know that as we get closer to when certain legislation is going to happen when it comes to taxes, let's definitely chat again, right? Just to talk about the specifics of it, because I know that it's interesting that, well, it's not interesting. Entrepreneurs, investors are always looking for opportunities. So of course, they're trying to think where the ball, you know, the puck is headed. And I think it's clear based on some of the things that you said, where the economy is going, where investment is going, where you can put money to pay less taxes, but still get good gains. So it's going to be cool to see what are the strategies available, right? Once we actually know what's coming down, coming down the line. So let's uh, definitely circle back in a few months. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I do read, uh, I don't read some of the bills, Patrick. I read them all. And, uh, <laughs> it's uh, Heaven, so heaven bless fun. you, Tom. It's so much fun. <laughs> I mean, these bills are just fascinating. What's in them? Is just uh, remarkable. And the good news is, I mean, reality is, the good news is they're not going to get rid of incentives. They're just going to change where the incentives are. So entrepreneurs can always get to tax-free wealth. I mean, we can always get there. We just have to have you know, good advisors and understand the law and, and have a good strategy for investing so that if we make the right choices, then we can pay less tax. And so we definitely need to stay on top of it all the time. Well, Tom, you also have a, an awesome podcast. First, a podcast that is tax professional facing, but also a podcast for the public where you teach a lot of these principles. So we'll put that on the show notes, but it's WealthAbility. You can go to WealthAbility.com and get all of the, the links. But Tom also has an incredible practice where he consults individuals just like you, businesses, to obviously navigate the waters of a, kind of a complex system of sorts. So we'll put those links as well in the body of the show notes. But everything, Tom Wise, you can go to wealthability.com. Unless, Tom, you want to cite some other things that you're working on. Oh, that, that's great. Tax-Free Wealth, of course, is the book that explains um, how the tax law actually works. Are you going to yeah. do version three when the new stuff comes out? I'm actually writing a new book. Oh, you are? Okay. Writing a new book that comes out, that will come out at the end of the year. So I'm very excited about the new book. It's a very in-depth look at some investments and the tax consequences of those investments. So very exciting. I mean, it's, it's very exciting stuff. Uh, like you said, we have an entire network of tax advisors around the country and in Canada. And uh, next year, we'll be launching internationally. So it's, it's very exciting stuff. So wealthability.com is absolutely a place to go. And anything we can do to help, we're just happy to help any way we can. Well, Tom, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you for imparting your wisdom on us. We appreciate it. And like I said, we'll circle back once we get closer to What's going on with uh, some of the things that are going to change in the, in the tax code? Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. See you, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. 
we welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Whoa.